Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadows out of this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw and today is Tuesday March 29th Almost the end of Woman's History Month. Oh, yes, well, I've just got too much on my plate. Uh, I won't have time to finish all my material on the plight of woman. I guess I'll have to save most of my feminosities for April and May and June and July and August, September, October. <laughs> yes, woman's issues are actually what it's all about all year round. Any society can be understood if you look at the women. Even uh, old Karl Marx told us that. I remember um, we used to joke, I used to say, oh, I don't want social position. I want to be an artist. The truth is the war on women is real and it's escalating. Femicide is not a hygiene spray. First of all, today, there's something I want to do, um, I want to talk about. Oh, I want to talk about this TV series, Deadwood, and I want to talk about this movie, Downfall. Ah, uh, but first of all, I want to fill you in on Randall Terry. Randall Terry, this is guy who is grandstanding at the deathbed of, um, Terry Schiavo. Uh, now, if any of you need any more background on this sad, sad case, check out Becky O'Malley's editorial in today's March 29th edition of the Berkeley Daily Planet. Um, it's called Who Pays for Life with Dignity? Becky's editorial reflects my own views pretty much. Her point in this editorial is that the only dignified voices speaking about Teresa Maria Schindler Schiavo are those folks in the disabled community um the rest are all hucksters jesse jackson oh dear anyway um randall terry is the leading hypocrite he's using this case to promote his own ideology same old same old um most of those yelling and yelling the loudest are of course doing it for political or economic gain um Randall Terry has been around for so long, I just shudder every time I hear his name. Now, he began as an anti-abortion zealot. Back in the 1980s, he found his cause. He was broke, he was a used car salesman, didn't have any money, and he got this um, gig, and the money started rolling in. Uh, I think, I hate to waste time on such a dreadful guy, but... 
what what it tells us, his profile tells us what's in it for him and why so many of these guys are motivated to do this uh, ridiculous stuff. Uh, I looked into Susan Faludi's book, Backlash. That was a landmark book when it was published some years ago. And I want to give you just a little bit of her description, her perception of Randall Terry. Uh, let's see. Here we go. <laughs> Operation Rescue. Right. Uh Mm, a grown man clutching a crucifix, shouting, Don't kill me, Mommy! Right, okay. One of the warriors at Operation Rescue's National Day of Rescue, blah, 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 blah. He's got a female auxiliary lined up in neat rows. Okay. Okay, back in 1986, long ago, uh, Randall Terry was a 26-year-old used car salesman from upstate New York, and he launched Operation Rescue. His mission was to padlock the doors of the nation's family planning clinics. Footnote here, that's one of the first things Hitler did when he came to power. It's pretty much like the anti-vice crusade against contraception and abortion in late Victorian America, also led by an underemployed New York salesman, Anthony Comstock. He raided women's health clinics. Um... Operation Rescue has attracted thousands of young men who one way or another feel locked out by a world that no longer seems to have a productive place for them. Uh, there's a later book by Susan Faludi called Stiffed. I found it fascinating. Uh, while many critics, uh, particularly male critics, objected to this book that I'm looking at here, Backlash, they were even more upset when she wrote the book Stiffed showing how they had been shafted or stiffed by the system. Um, I think they preferred to be seen as villains where women were concerned than to acknowledge that they themselves had been, uh, let's call it shafted or stiffed by their own fathers, by the male power structure. Uh, let's see what else she says here about Randall Terry. This is what interests me. I... I like to dig into the psychology of what makes these guys uh, tick. Now, Randall Terry was smart enough to skirt the issue of women's equality in his public speeches. Uh, he assures the press that he's only trying to, quote, save the mothers and their unborn babies. But it seems, according to Susan Faludi, that his political evolution is more complex. He has a personal set of motives in which the campaign for women's rights figures prominently. Here's a quote from Randall Terry. I was conceived out of wedlock. I could have been aborted. I hope and think that my parents wouldn't have. But I'm just real glad they didn't have, they didn't even have the choice. Okay, this guy was raised in the suburbs of Rochester, New York, the birthplace of Susan B. Anthony, launching pad for the nation's first wave of feminism 150 and more years ago now. His relationship to feminist activism involves more than the coincidence of geography and history. Terry was the eldest son in a family that on his mother's side produced politically vocal and self-determined women for three generations. Whoops. <laughs> From the start of the century, when his maternal great-grandmother disobeyed a parish priest and quit the Catholic Church, the women in his family had been outspoken, progressive, 
and feminist. Randy Terry's backlash against women's rights may be more intimate than people realize, says Dawn Marvin, the former communications director of the Rochester chapter of Planned Parenthood. She is Randall Terry's aunt, she says. He was raised at the knee of feminists. Terry's three aunts, Diane, Dawn, and Dale, agitated for civil rights, peace, and especially for women's equality. During the 1970s, the sisters on the close-knit maternal side of the family launched a women's welfare rights program. They launched the first women's studies program at Buffalo State University, a women's arts collective, a women's talk show, a women's consciousness raising group, and a women's health clinic. Whoops. <laughs> More than any feminist issue, though. Their cause was reproductive freedom. Diane wrote and spoke on campuses in favor of legal safe abortions. Dawn stood in the rain for hours seeking signatures for a petition to legalize abortion in New York State. Dale put her picture on a citywide bus ad campaign for birth control education. Now, the sisters' activism was grounded in painful personal experience. Each of the four sisters had an unplanned pregnancy as an unwed teenager before abortion was legal. Randy, in fact, was the product of one of them. <laughs> in one case, a condom failed. In another, a boyfriend said he'd pull out and didn't. Whatever the mistake, the women paid. Yes, as my father used to say, it's the woman who pays. <laughs> Don't kid yourself. Dawn gave up a college scholarship and an arts career to marry a man she did not love, a man who smashed her jaw with his fists during her pregnancy. Diane gave up plans for an Ivy League education and spent the final months of her senior year in high school searching for an illegal abortion. She was five months pregnant by the time she found a willing doctor, so-called, who took her $500, injected her with saline, and abandoned her in a stranger's house. She nearly bled to death. Okay, this is what Randall Terry says. He says, our diehard enemies are almost totally feminist, unquote. Oh, let's see, back in the 80s, according to Susan Faludi, this was a young man with a baby face and gangly limbs, hunched on the curb outside Operation Rescue's uh, Binghamton, New York headquarters. Behind him is Command Central, a musty three-room suite with walls covered with water stains and photos of bloody fetuses. Inside one office cabinet, <sighs> baby choice floats in a jar. Eesh. This embalmed fetus often accompanies Terry to press conferences, dressed in swaddling clothes and laid out in a tiny shoebox coffin. He says, quote, Radical feminism gave birth to child killing. They were the ones out in the streets demanding their rights. 
Oh, with their lies and their false propaganda that the media lapped up obediently and spewed back out to the American people. Lies, he says. But then he goes on to say, most reporters are, quote, tools of now. That's the National Organization for Women. Uh, Another quote, radical feminism, of course, has vowed to destroy the traditional family unit, hates motherhood, hates children for the most part, promotes lesbian activity. He offers examples of Margaret Sanger, birth control pioneer, founder of Planned Parenthood. Uh, she was, he says, quote, a whore. Another quote, she was an adulteress, except all over the place, all over the world with all kinds of people. <laughs> That's... Margaret Sanger, the um, revered birth control pioneer. Now, it's not just abortion that he opposes. Terry says he'd like to ban all contraception and, of course, call a halt to all premarital sex. He says he intends to deliver his own daughter to the wedding altar with her virginity intact. <laughs> a few hours later, after this demonstration, Terry heads home. His wife, Cindy, is a thin woman with almost translucent skin. She meets him at the door, their three-year-old daughter, Faith, clinging to her side. Uh, Terry tells his wife, uh, jerking his thumb at me, at Susan Faludi, that is, I told her you don't talk. <laughs> she reports to him that the lawnmower won't start. He gives the ignition cord a few yanks. And when the motor kicks, it turns the job over to her. He retires to the living room couch and, propping up his feet, recalls with a nostalgic sigh that it was this very day a year ago that he realized his media zenith. Ah, oh, yes, he says, I would have been in a hotel then resting, getting ready for the limo to pick us up and take us to the Morton Downey Jr. show. His rise to national media star, as he puts it, was meteoric. It was a few years before the Downey limo arrived, yes, when he was selling jalopies in an upstate used car lot. As that lawnmower bellows outside, he recounts the critical events of his young life, events that led to sudden fame. And there's a lot of stuff about, oh, you know, he, he did all of the foolish things that Young people do. He wanted to be a rock and roll star, and he went to California when he was 16. And life was a mess. Uh, he was looking for something, yes. Oh, ho, 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 ho. I think of Timothy McVeigh trying to become a Green Beret. Anyway, Randall Terry was fleeing a tension-filled home at 16. His father was an unhappy school teacher. Uh, who had to enter a shotgun wedding at 20. The marriage was difficult. Michael Terry, the father, often turned his violent temper on his eldest son. The night before Randy left home, his father beat him up. Okay. He's trying for on-the-road experiences in the 70s. Uh, and he tries to, you know, play air guitar and smoke dope and so forth, but uh, vagrants steal his backpack and his possessions and... He limps home clutching a Gideon Bible <laughs> back in the suburb of Rochester. Yeah, the only job he gets is scooping ice cream in the local snack stand. Anyway, out of all this nonsense comes, of course, a religious conversion. And he decides to train for the ministry.
That doesn't work out either. Uh, he and his wife, Cindy, he said had to live in a vacant church trailer. And when he needed to pay the bills, he had to borrow money from his wife's mother. Now, while Randall Terry would later blame working women for, quote, the destruction of the traditional family unit, it's his wife's job at a forest shop that helped the young family through his lean period. It was not until uh, Randall Terry started Operation Rescue and hundreds of thousands of dollars in donations started rolling in that he was able to make a living wage and send his wife home. His vision came to him, he recalls, in a prayer meeting in the fall of 1983. It was a three-point plan. Blockade clinics counsel women against abortion and provide homes for unwed mothers. He led several clinic raids. Campaign didn't register on the media until July of 88, when he descended on Atlanta. Okay, Democratic National Convention, right, the press corps was there. A week-long siege followed. 134 protesters were arrested, and Terry made the networks. His star status was all but guaranteed. Okay, now, he's arriving at the apex of his story, talking to Susan Faludi and his wife. Returns to the house, her mowing finished, and prepares the family's supper. Terry tells his wife, uh, looking at Susan Felodis, I told her you don't like media people, so she shouldn't expect to get any comment from you. However, Cindy seems willing enough to talk. She tells how she met Randy. Uh, she was just studying to be a better Christian. She wasn't attracted to him at first, she says. But she learned in her Christian womanhood class that blind love can lead to bad marriages. Randy, on the other hand, says he was drawn to Cindy at once. He liked that, quote, she was quiet. Cindy Dean grew up in Manchester, a small town in upstate New York. She worked as a waitress and barmaid at the local Sheraton Hotel, but she yearned for more. I didn't want my life to be a total failure, she says. At 23, she enrolled in the Culinary Institute of America at Hyde Park, one of the best cooking schools in the United States, she points out. She was one of a few female students in training to be chefs. She was breaking into a male-dominated profession, she says proudly. I was really into it. I had excellent grades because, you know, I wanted to make something of my life. She began working at a French restaurant in Rochester, creating fancy pastries. And Anyway, she was soon managing the entire kitchen staff. Then she met a group of born-again Christians. Oh, they converted her and convinced her she should quit school. Okay. Randy interrupts her story, says, we need to wrap this up. <laughs> he sits at the head of the table. See, they're in having dinner and he lectures his wife for having, quote, burned the beans. After supper, he retires to the living room with a video of a TV movie about Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North called Guts and Glory. <laughs> Cindy clears the table. She confides, confides that it was she who first had the idea to picket in front of the clinics. 
She had great difficulty getting pregnant. It took five years, and she came to resent women who so effortlessly conceived, yet then went ahead and aborted. By herself, she took to marching in front of the Southern Tier Women's Services. She had a handmade placard in her hands, and she called out to the women, Don't kill your baby. I'll take it. I can't have a baby. One day, though, Randy appeared at her side, and soon after that, Cindy just disappeared from the scene. As funny as she started it, and then Terry took over, patrolled the parking lot, literally throwing his weight against car doors to stop women from entering the clinic. Once he found out the identity of a patient, he burst into the waiting room, screaming her name over and over again. Another time, clinic workers recall he posed as a clinic counselor, and he led a 16-year-old girl to what he claimed was our other office. It was actually his own office suite. And there he showed the teenager gory films about the supposed aftermath of abortion, infertility, madness, and death. The frightened girl fled. Um, <laughs> anyway, there's a long list of this guy's um, crimes, yes, spraying doors of the locks with crazy glue and generally making life a living hell for the people who worked in the health clinics. Smashing up furniture, ripping out phones, locking themselves in, breaking the doors down. Okay. Okay, yes. During one of Operation Rescue's um, protests, a young man leaped through the window, punched a five-month pregnant woman in the stomach. She was taken to the hospital in an ambulance she miscarried. Okay. Pretty nasty stuff. Um, Terry never got very far with the other two points in his three-point plan. Uh, Susan Faludi goes to visit this so-called uh, daycare. So what is it? A home for unwed mothers. Uh, he set up only one, she said. It was called the House of Life in Pennsylvania. It took in only four pregnant girls before shutting down. The reason was that the couple operating the home announced that they were too busy preparing for their own baby's birth. Right, okay, a four-bed, a four-bed plague uh, opened and shut. Okay, Susan goes on at great length about the legacy of the anti-abortion movement. Um, obviously, this guy has jumped onto the bandwagon anywhere and everywhere he can. And his behavior at the bedside of this woman is uh, beyond the pale I recommend to you this book, Backlash, the Undeclared War Against American Women. It's now in all the libraries and it's out in paperback, but uh, it's the sort of reference book in case there's anybody out there who doesn't know all this stuff by now. <laughs> in any case, yes, on my list of good things this week, um, let me just tell you about a couple of items I went to see Downfall, and uh, that's the movie about Hitler's last days in the bunker. And I reviewed it in some detail. Um, it'll be on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Uh, Bruno Gantz, the great actor, is in it. Uh, I didn't quite have time, I think, at the end to tell you a little story. At the end of the movie, we see Hitler's secretary. Uh, her name was... Trudy Jung, last name spelled J-U-N-G-E, 
And many um, years, of course, have passed. She died in 2002. And um, there is a, uh, a documentary out called Blind Spot about it, or Secretary. Uh, a couple years ago, I saw it. Uh, and at the end of the movie, this movie Downfall, we see the old woman uh, played in the film by a young actress. Uh, we see her talking about one of her contemporaries, a woman uh, called Sophie Schul. Now, Sophie Schul uh, was part of something called the White Rose Society. Now, that's my movie. I want to make a movie about the White Rose Society. It was a group of university students in Munich. They formed a group to protest the war and distribute anti-Nazi leaflets. But in 1943, they were caught by the Gestapo, tried and hanged all in one day. Apparently, Hitler was delighted he had films made of this uh, event, and he was irritated when his uh, companions weren't interested, weren't delighted to see these people uh, uh, wiggling and screaming. Uh, they were hung with piano wire or something like that. Anyway... The uh, conscientious example of this young woman, Sophie Schull, uh, is commemorated um, as a memorial to her. And uh, the old woman, Hitler's secretary, sees the memorial and she said she realizes at that point that uh, it's no excuse to be young. She should have studied and found out what was going on. Some people did warn her not to become uh, the secretary, not to become part of the Nazi Group. She was, in fact, never a member of the National Socialist Party. She was one of the so-called good Germans. <laughs> yes. Think about it, folks. Think about it. Um, she also said that Hitler had manipulated the conscience, the conscience of the German people. And I think, of course, over and over again how it is that... Uh, uh, so many of us have had our consciences manipulated, or at least not KPFA listeners, of course, but masses of Americans bought it, bought this line we're getting from our administration. Um, I was thinking how it is that in a thugocracy, so many people, perhaps, perhaps it's no nothing worse than laziness, the banal quality of evil that makes us just go along with the program or let things um, slide. But um, in Downfall, we see how women particularly can be profoundly complicit in the crimes of any social order. They are enablers on a grand scale. Uh, of course, at the same time, there are so many people, both women and men, who know the score they know that if they don't hold fast to justice, uh, it will become uh, something we we lose. Uh, whether you're dealing with a tyrant in your family or in the state, as mothers must say to sons, it is not good to be a tyrant. It is not good. Your father must say to the daughter, it is not good to be a doormat. That is not the path to joy, yes. <laughs> Each one of us must demand liberty. Not just for ourselves, but for everyone. No more lies, no more lies. Stop these neocons. My new mantra this year is, it's the hypocrisy, stupid. <laughs>
uh, next Thursday, I will talk about Downfall, this fascinating film about the last days of Adolf Hitler. Uh, I hope the movie does not create a nostalgia. A nostalgia for the whip, we used to call it, yes. Nothing is sadder than sadism. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at uh, 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money. Every Friday Iran, Lebanon, and Syria. Myths, realities, and the U.S. drive for domination of the Gulf region. On Tuesday, March 29th at 7 p.m., ANSWER will hold a forum and benefit at the San Francisco Women's Building, including reports and discussion on what is really behind the U.S. targeting of these countries and an historical perspective on the region. That's Tuesday, March 29th, 7 p.m. at the San Francisco Women's Building, 3543 18th Street. A 3 to $10 donation supports the ongoing work of the ANSWER Coalition. For more info, call 415-821-6545. That's 415-821-6545. Soul Salon 10, a fusion of visual artists from the Bay Area and Southern California, present a new art exhibit that pays homage to rhythm and blues legend Marvin Gaye, titled Trouble Man. 